1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Surf.
0: I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And we come to you at the end of the Royal Weekend. There was a wedding, I don't know if you heard about it, in Britain Mm -hmm. this weekend. Serena's friend got married. Mm -hmm. Serena showed up, turned out, attempted to get her man together. He was still in an (laughs) ill-fitting suit.
1: It's not his fault that Tom Ford tailored him. Tom Ford, who always wears his suits too small. And the button... On
0: the jacket is too high when you have like a little bit of a gut.
1: I don't know if you have a lot of leeway in the whole like British aristocracy style thing. They have to wear tails and and the the butt of the pants is really high and whatever. And it's then there's a weird the,
0: look. The pinstripe pants, strange, strange choices.
1: Serena looked bomb, like drop dead gorgeous, better than every last person there wearing five foot braids the Olympic flame on her
0: head. It was it was amazing. And then she turns around and is on Philippe Chatrier less than 24 hours later.
1: <laughs> yeah, just to remind everyone that she's serious.
0: That is some 24 hours. Speaking of royals, the King of Clay won in Italy at the Foro Italico, the Rome Masters, for the first time since 2013. Mm-hmm.
1: Which for him constitutes a title drought.
0: Mm-hmm. At that time, a lot of folks probably would have bet on Rome being the one that he would win 10 at first, if -hmm. you had to pick one. And it just didn't end up being that way. But he's back. Last year, he won Madrid and then made the quarters in Rome. This year, it was the flip. Made the quarters in Madrid and
1: won Rome. Lost to the same person both times. Also, the same guy was in the final of Rome in consecutive years. And Sasha Zverev came very, very close to defending that title.
0: He did. But for perhaps the rain interrupting twice in that third set, there was a lot of work for Rafa to do had that match gone uninterrupted to reverse the trend in play.
1: Yes. So here's how it went. The first set was a total beatdown. Rafa was just dictating on offense. Whatever Sasha was trying to do just was not working.
0: Sasha broke to open the match. You could see on his face when he went to serve at One Love that he was like, okay, okay. I'm here, bitch. Okay. And then six games later, it's a 1-6 loss in the mm-hmm. first set. And it looks like it's going to be a steamroll. And then Sasha comes out in the second set, a combination of Rafa's timidity rearing its head, which it does on um, occasion.
1: It was very strange. I It was not... Something you see very often, especially on clay.
0: Especially given how one-sided the first set was.
1: Yeah. I mean, Rafa broke Sasha's serve three times in a row after losing his own serve in the first game. I hate to say it, don't crucify me, but it felt like a Venus second set. It really did. Um It was like, what the hell is going on? You
0: should hate to say it, because... <laughs> That template hasn't been the case for a while now. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Right now, if she's gonna lose, she's just gonna lose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she did win a match this week, but she lost to Contivate, who was uh, again, right,
0: her vanquisher in Madrid.
1: Uh, and a lot of people are losing to Contivate lately. Yeah. Another dark horse for the Roland Garros, probably. But back, back to, to the men. Back to the men's
0: final. You're you very, you're very tangential these days.
1: Oh. Okay. <laughs>
0: But it's not just that, it was almost as if Rafa gave him an opening, and then that really got Zverev going, and he ran with it. Because it wasn't that Rafa was playing poorly the entire time, necessarily. It was that that kind of buoyed Zverev to play that much better. And his game was full throttle mm-hmm. into the third set.
1: And we know his, his game has been lethal in the past four or five tournaments, The serve is dominating. While less dominant this week, it was still a serious weapon. He was broken a handful of times, uh, like around 10 times on the way to the final. And then broken three times in the first set. But then things started clicking. His forehand is much improved.
0: It's really the backhand that did the majority of the damage, though. Oh, yeah. He can hit it either way with so much power and accuracy when he's on. And being able to hit the ball that flat from that high, it's uh, and with that much power, it's a bit of a, a troubling scenario for Rafa.
1: Yeah, and it's an advantage for him facing Nadal on clay because the balls kick up so high that a lot of players are not able to handle it like Sasha is. And being a giraffe, that's right. right in
0: his wheelhouse.
1: <laughs> but I mentioned the forehand because it's not seen as his weapon, but it is. It is much improved, and he seems less fearful of going for it on that side. Now, the volley is an absolute disaster, like what? a total mess. And it, I feel like that's the most relatable thing about Sasha, because he looks like a lot of us out there trying to volley, knowing that he should get to the net, but not knowing what the hell to do when he gets there.
0: Speak for yourself. That's the best part of my game.
1: Right. You're good <laughs> at it. Most recreational players are not.
0: You know, you just have the feel for it or you don't.
1: No, I, I mean, I think it can be taught. Rafa's <laughs> I'm, I'm volleying being facetious was here. Rafa's volleying was crisp, accurate. It was. It's a beautiful thing to watch when he comes to net. Sasha did win a lot of points at the net with overheads. Mm-hmm. So you know, when the ball is up high and he can hit an overhead, has a very good chance of winning the point.
0: With respect to his volleying, we saw, especially in that second set, just how complete or near complete his game is. Who
1: Zverev? Oh, I would not. Put the word complete even close to him. Have I finished <laughs> my thought process? <laughs> <laughs> Go on.
0: <laughs> I said we came close to seeing how complete his game is. Or how complete it could be. Because he still has these glaring holes. You said his, his volleying, his net game is a complete mess. I think I termed it on Twitter as... Oh, what did I say? Like uh, one of the the best comedy shows
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's crazy like you you sit there just howling <laughs> at how bad some of these shots are at that it's crazy and well be- to his credit he is not shy about coming into net despite that and we saw him come into net so many times even after some atrocious play at net in the first set did you get my point in that we we saw what a complete Zverev could look like in this match mm. and just how daunting and good it could be
1: yes yes i agree i was really surprised with the way the match went it was a bizarre match i wouldn't say it was a really good match no but it was i was feeling very apocalyptic in the second moving into the third set feeling like well You know, at least it's not at Roland Garros, because Rafa looked well on his way to losing. He didn't have that many answers. He was making a lot of errors on both sides, and it was just strange.
0: At some point in the second set, there were a lot of what the fuck is going on from your end. Mm -hmm. Then you got up to do some dishes, and then you got up and took (laughs) the dog out for a walk.
1: Yeah, there were two rain delays, I think, so the longer rain delay... After the first one, Rafa
0: came back serving 1-3 and held for 2-3. And then they immediately went off again for the much longer break. And then Zverev came back serving at 3-2. Yes. Up a break.
1: Broken immediately. Rafa reeled off four straight games and that was that. I can't say it was surprising because I kind of assumed that the, the stop would would help him get his brain back together. Reverse the momentum a little bit. But four straight games, I was impressed.
0: Zverev himself said that it was a lot more difficult, obviously, in hindsight, for him to get himself started again after the second rain delay, given how much tennis he's played in the last few weeks. Because this was his third straight final that he was playing in three weeks. Mm -hmm. He'd won 13 matches in, I believe, 18 days or 17 days. And this being the 14th, he lost it. In a lot of ways, it was... Incredible that he was even able to bring that level against Rafa in the second set given how much tennis he'd played and how many three-setters and tough matches he'd even played at Rome this week. Agreed. The takeaway here for me is if you are a Zvera fan, you should be very pleased by what you've seen over this clay court season. He is squarely number two in the battle for the clay prince crown. He is Miles ahead of Dominic Team at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you don't know what he's going to do in Lyon.
0: <laughs> Get away from here with that.
1: <laughs> I couldn't resist. But we're not even here to talk about Dominic. How about that djokovic Nadal match? It's been a long time since we've gotten a Raffole or a Jokodal, which I prefer. A Djokodal. Mm-hmm. Which was number 51, mm-hmm. I believe. Djokovic seems to be... Not well and truly back, but certainly on the right path. Yes. And getting
0: closer. Uh Uh-huh. I would agree with that. Folks pointed out that we thought the same last year when he was the finalist in Rome last year, and then he won a grass tune-up as well heading into Wimbledon. And then at both the French Open and Wimbledon, he had flame-out results. Some due to injury, some due to lots of speculatory reasons, A year ago (laughs) if you recall Mm -hmm. and so it's possibly wise to not get ahead of ourselves but he did pass the eye test to me it's not just that he pushed rafa a lot of those points felt familiar in the old kind of way some absolutely absurd video game non-human shot making and rallies And to be able to come back from down 2-5 in the first set, Rafa may have blinked a little bit to let him back in, but Djokovic came right back well and truly, pushed it to a tiebreak, and then by the middle of the second set, it was just a bit too much to climb right now for Mm -hmm. him. But if you are a Djokovic fan, that should have been an encouraging performance.
1: I agree, because you also saw his passion. You saw him yelling at people, having a few mini tantrums, like that fire totally wasn't there in Indian Wells and Miami. But it's back, like he's he's getting pissed off on court, he's challenging Rafa on clay. I think it's very encouraging, and really, like of the short list of people who can beat Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros, he's got to be on it, even this year.
0: Djokovic himself, when he was giving his little summation of his event on his social media, said that he was happy to have the passion back or something to that effect. Mm. It's not just that he pushed Rafa in that match, in the semi-final, it's how he got there as well. He had a slew of impressive wins. He beat Dolgopolov, 6-1, 6-3, Basilashvili 6-4, 6-2. Ramos Vignola, 6'175, before a three set come from behind win against Nishikori in the quarterfinals. So that's, uh, that's quite the progression to get to Rafa and push him in that way. The way being a manner that damn near nobody has been able to do in the last two years on clay. Dominic team accepted.
1: So Nadal improves to 25 and 26 against his chief rival. They've played more than any two men in the open era. And Rafa's back at number one for, I hear, at least the next five weeks.
0: Definitely through Roland Garros. I haven't looked beyond that in terms of Mm. what the grass court, what have yous, and how they come into play. Had Rafa not won this match, he would have remained at number two behind Federer. And that would have stayed the case at least through Wimbledon. Yes. Instead, he will be guaranteed to overtake Agassi as the... ...man who has held number one for the longest number of weeks in his thirties. We'll be coming at you in less than a week with our French Open preview. Mm -hmm. And so we won't talk too much about what these ramifications are for the actual slam in this episode. What we will solicit from you, the listeners, is we're going to be doing a listener mailbag segment... As part of our preview, we're going to be strapped for time in terms of recording that episode. So we'll get to a segment about looking at the draws, but then we'll also record a Q&A where you guys will ask us stuff about the French Open and we'll give our thoughts. So this is the first plug for that. You're looking at me like, why are you talking about that I now? like
1: No, I like how you're being very open about... Using our listeners for content. Yeah, <laughs> it's yes. Like
0: we're very busy this week, so we are very busy. <laughs> we're having a house guests this weekend, and we totally forgot that it was going to be French Open preview week.
1: Mm-hmm. And the French being the only slam that starts on Sunday, we have even less time to get mm-hmm. ready.
0: We have like a three-hour window to have the the episode fully put together and out <laughs> on Saturday. Mm.
1: Uh,
0: so email us. I feel like in the past we've been a bit, what's the word, exclusionary? Uh,
1: Twitter-centric?
0: Yes. And there are folks who do not use Twitter. And if you'd like to contribute to the podcast, if you'd like to get your questions on air, email us at thebodyserve at gmail.com or send us the feedback and the questions for the preview episode at thebodyserve on Twitter. On to the women.
1: Alina Svitolina defends in Rome... She's won eight consecutive finals now. Mm -hmm. Simona Halep defended her finalist
0: trophy as well.
1: Alina Svitolina continues to be a tough out for Simona and really anyone. She is just so, so tough in finals. I don't know how she does it. She's played in 14 and she's won 12 of them. And I read somewhere that since she's been in the top 10, she hasn't lost a final.
0: That is correct. And over the last two years... Including this one. So 2017 and 2018, she's 8-0 in finals. Mm-hmm. Nobody's beating her in finals the last year and a half. That is a crazy stat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the the inverse of that is true with Simona. Since winning Madrid last year, she's 1-6 in finals. <laughs> yes.
1: So Simona, you know, takes a lot of crap from tennis Twitter about being the number one who's not winning titles. And um, it's not not true. It is perplexing, and clearly she's just a a different kind of number one. I myself am surprised that she hasn't been able to win more of these big matches, because she has the game, like it's there. She's getting to the right spots, right? And I know there was some concern that she was suffering from a back injury during this final, and she wasn't able to move, especially side to side, as well as she normally can, but man... Like a six love bagel set in a final is just not, not a cute look for anyone.
0: Steve Tinior had an insightful take on it, being that when she gets to these finals, she's often so beat up on the path to mm-hmm. get there. Yeah. She had just come off playing three bruising sets against Sharapova, coming back against Sharapova in that semifinal, much the same way that we saw her be totally beat up in Australia this year. Oh yeah, And I'll, so when I'll... she gets to the back end of these tournaments, it's not fresh as a daisy, Elena Svitolina. It's not fresh as a daisy, Rafa Nadal, typically, on clay. Mm. It's somebody who's had to really fight and claw her way into these positions. And when you're up against somebody like Svitolina, who's clearly not awed by these situations, who is fresher, who has more experience winning these big tournaments... It's a it's a tough ask. Now you get wrapped up in the whole business of, well, if she's number one, she should be able to do
1: it. <laughs> right. And I'm not even going to, like, I'm not interested in diagnosing Simona or saying that she needs a sports psychologist or anything. Like, I really don't care about that. It's none of our business. I just wish, for her sake, that she would put it together for one of these big titles. You mentioned that Svitolina has more experience in these big matches, but... As far as Grand Slams, I wonder, like, what is holding her back there? She, She's still so young. Uh, she definitely is. But she is so, so mentally tough, like Sasha Zverev, and I hate to make the comparison again, but it's true. At these Masters events, which the WTA calls Premier 5 or Premier Mandatory, I don't get what's not translating. Simona Halep beat her last year in the quarterfinals at Roland Garros, which has been... Svitolina's best major so far I think it, it has to be a matter of time right?
0: Well that's my point they're mm. young it's the same it's kind of a nonsensical critique of Zverev at this point because mm. he's still only what 21 that's absurd right. to be saying about this dude oh well, well well, you can't make even the fourth round of a grand slam well he's <laughs> had maybe 12 opportunities yeah. by the age of 21 cut the dude a break and I kind of take that approach with Svitolina as well People forget how young she is. All in right. my opinion, I M H O.
1: Did you know that some people think that means "in my honest opinion"? I think those when would you ever say that? Honest, it's my humble opinion. Mistaken, yes. Yeah. Okay. So that semifinal match between Simona and Maria—that was something. I wouldn't say it was a very good match. Actually, it was. Uh, technically, a very bad match, but it sure was entertaining. It was by what
0: by what standards? Oh, by what metrics?
1: Well, by serving the, stats. The serving was horrible mm-hmm. all around. The ground, um, the ground game was that horrible too. Mostly yes, but, <laughs> but it sure was watchable. You know, Maria had a very gutsy win against the current Roland Garros champion Yelena Ostapenko in the previous round. Lasted a long time. As did all her matches, pretty much, in in Rome. Because at this stage in her her career, Maria is very good at winning ugly and grinding out three set matches. And that's all well and good, and it's cute, but it does catch up to you.
0: I also think she came back to a tour that has a lot more women able to press her earlier in tournaments. I firmly believe that this is a deeper WTA field Mm. than even a few years ago. You think so? I do. Obviously, having the depressed ranking hurt her in being able to go deep in tournaments for the first year. She's back almost in the top 30 now, so that will help her. She'll be seated at the French Open. But a good part of it is the woman ranked 1 to 50. Any given week, somebody can put their hand up. We've seen Maria Sakari come through in the last few weeks. Contivate is there doing well. Any given week, any given surface, anything can happen.
1: And we are in a place now where we have a very long list of favorites for Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say so-and-so is kind of the leading contender because there's just so many variables. We have Serena coming back. Sloan is, a, is currently holding a major championship and the Miami title. I mean, it, like it goes on and on.
0: How is Sloane the second name that comes out of your mouth? I get that. I get that Serena is she's your boo, your. I'm king. not saying
1: she's another favorite. I'm I understand saying that. She's one of many women who can win this title. I understand that, but mm. we
0: just come off a couple episodes where we talk about we've had the same woman winning over mm. and over again on clay, and Sloane ain't she's been <laughs> nowhere near that list at all.
1: Right, but you know when she gets on a roll, like crazy things happen. Mm-hmm. But to my point earlier about
0: Sharapova and the obstacles that she's been facing, you have the Sakaris and the Kandavits or whatever earlier in the draws, right? Mm -hmm. And you get through those folks. And then what we've been seeing consistently, the final eight, you're having five or six top eight seeds in those quarterfinals. So not only do you have the depth in the 20 to 30 range that will show up in the earlier rounds to give you trouble as a Sharapova, you're then not having the top seats fall away either. So it's a tough road from right. start to finish. And
1: then you have a, a Garcia or an Ostapenko or a Svitolina, like who wants to kill you? Mm-hmm. You know, you are one of the greats of your era. People are going to be gunning for you every single time you go out there because it's you can make your name on beating someone like Maria Sharapova.
0: Bless Yelena Ostapenko, Alyona. She said that... Sharapova was actually the one to play with nothing to lose because she's
1: the French Open champion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she. the media training has largely worked with her because she was being kind of ironic when she said that. If you read it like without any context, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, this girl again. But she's actually cute and funny these days. She's getting better. She's much improved. <laughs> Let's talk about Maria's serve stats, though. This is what needs to change if she wants to have success. And I say that now, she'll probably win the French Open.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh my my god, you are so predictable. (laughs) You're so predictable. The doomsday bullshit on your end Uh, that we went through last year with Maria heading into the French Open. I don't know if you recall, James actually thought Sharapova was going to win the French Open last year. Oh, I sure did. And now you're coming with these serve stats as kind of a, a helpful stat for Maria to fix that to get to where she needs to be. Well <laughs> you're really just being shady no, as no, well. No, I am being shady.
1: Okay, <laughs> she won 45% on first serve and 21% on her second serve. But she still got 2-6-4 in the third set on a very tired set of legs against the number one player. And I'm saying like that is terrible, but it's also very impressive at the same time. You'll never get a 100% compliment out of me with regard to Masha. We were very
0: good on the last episode. We did a full 90 seconds of being pretty pretty good. <laughs> we
1: were. I have to say, Simona's performance in the last two games of that match were very no-nonsense, like ice in her veins. Okay, you know what? This match is over. I'm just, I'm done with it. And she did a great job to finish it.
0: Sharapova against Ostapenko trying to close her out. She was serving for that match in the third set. And she played one of the absolute worst service games I've ever seen in my life. It was mm. jaw-droppingly bad. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, she broke Astapenko and, and won. Imagine if
1: Ostapenko had a serve. We've said this like, before. Wh- what could she do?
0: Allegedly, tweaks have been made. I believe she's with David Taylor now. Yep. Formerly Sam Stozer's coach. Formerly Naomi Osaka's coach. And allegedly tweaks have been made that have been a little bit better. Okay. I can't speak to those <laughs> specifically, but that's what I'm hearing in these Twitter streets.
1: What else? Ash Barty played with uh, Netherlands Demi Shores in doubles and won the title, mm-hmm. beating Sestini Lovachkova and Barbara Streetsova.
0: Barty's on her way to being a top dog in doubles. Absolutely. Because she's been winning with Colleen. <laughs> and no, she wins a big tournament, a big doubles tournament in Rome.
1: Yeah, so she'll be back with Colleen at the French. Have to mention that they beat Ostapenko Kirstea in the semifinals. And Ostapenko actually went out after playing Sharapova and losing and beat Mladenovic Babos in doubles on an injury. Elsewhere in doubles, Croatia's Mate Pavic became Croatia's first number one. In any discipline in tennis, hmm. did you know that? I did not know that. And he's also the youngest doubles number one since Todd Woodbridge in nineteen ninety six. I
0: do know that Goran Ivanisevic reached a career high of number two in the mm. world. Mm-hmm. Your two thousand one Wimbledon champion, I believe. He made what three finals before that? I, I believe think? so. Yes, that completes the Rome recap, doesn't
1: it? I believe so. All right. We spoke about Canadian Francoise Zabanda last week because she had just become the number one player in Canada for the first time in her career. Uh huh. And things got a little rocky this week. Somebody on Twitter tweeted, Where's the same energy for Francoise Zabanda that y'all were giving to Eugenie Bouchard? And she found it and quote tweeted it. You say found it because she wasn't tagged in it. Right. <laughs> And she said, I will never get the same treatment because I am black. It's the truth. Firstly, it is so rare to see an athlete or a public figure speak so bluntly. Uh, (laughs) There was just, there was no equivocating whatsoever. She said, I will not get the same attention because I'm black. Period. Not just attention,
0: but treatment. That covers a lot of people, a lot of avenues. Be it fans, Tennis Canada, promotion, and when I read that, I was like, girl, speak your truth. I don't need to sit here and try and dissect that and say, well, actually, Jeannie Bouchard did this, this, this. What have you done? I read it and I was like, well, you know, well, damn, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And there's probably a whole lot of truth to that.
1: Predictably, there were a lot of people replying to her saying, oh, but have you been to a Wimbledon final? Were you number five in the world? Da da, da, da. Wanting, this, wanting to make this a kind of a catfight between the two when that's clearly not what it was supposed to be. And she followed it up with a tweet in French, so I have to rely on, on like, the Twitter translator. But she said, I've expressed a feeling based on experience. I'm not comparing myself to anyone, and I respect all athletes. I'm just asking for equal opportunity. She did elaborate in an interview that she gave to a Canadian outlet this week. She mentioned, uh, you know, a Canada Day. It was Canada Day, right? The Mm -hmm. video? Yes. But she also talked about a lot of things growing up in quebec growing up in through the the canadian tennis federation that she claimed she felt discriminated against many times mistreated and the thing is who cares if she has never been to a wimbledon final if these are based on her own lived experience like you just need to sit back and listen for a minute
0: is it any surprise that there was such little media coverage in canada about the fact that she was the number one canadian woman because Jeannie Bouchard could have back ended into being Canadian number one as the number 175th ranked player, and we would have heard about it.
1: Oh, yeah. I think what's galling about it is that it's very obvious to anyone watching that Eugenie Bouchard receives disproportionate coverage compared to her ranking on her achievements. Like, we know this. We know for a fact that beautiful blonde white women make more money, and garner more attention in sports than black girls.
0: Everybody knows that. Women who are perceived to be beautiful. Sure. I mean, these are beauty standards, which gets the whole crux of it, right? It's not that Jeannie is objectively beautiful. It's that she is believed to be beautiful and taken to be beautiful and aspirational, that her beauty is aspirational Mm -hmm. in ways that Francoise is not.
1: Right, so I think if fans on all sides accept that that is kind of a built-in unfairness that we've seen play out many times, then we can move on and have a real conversation about it. So instead of making this a fight between Francoise and Jeannie, which it's not, let's take a moment and listen to this young woman who is sharing her perspective. And I'm not saying that you have to agree, but you can say that her experience is not her experience. You do, I believe, have the obligation to at least listen, or if you don't want to listen, shut up about it. She became
0: Canadian number one the same week that Denis Shapovalov overtook Milos Raonic to become Mm -hmm. Canadian number one, and he was all we could hear about. Right. Granted, he had just cracked the top 30. His trajectory is not nearly, or I should say, her trajectory isn't in the same stratosphere as Denis's. Right. And the the narrative and the excitement surrounding him is totally different. But still, you have a noteworthy thing happening for one of your really young guns in Tennis Canada and in Canadian tennis. Mm -hmm. So if your goal and your MO is to build tennis in Canada to get more people playing, you have somebody with talent who's put in the hard yards while it's not her highest ranking it's not like she's gone out and made the semis of a premier five event to have this breakthrough moment it's still her moment you should be able to or should want to capitalize on that to reach a different group of tennis fans potential tennis fans and to me that speaks to more what she was hinting at and and talking about because in her development the attention monetarily to her And the the spotlight just has not been the same. That's the equality that she's talking about. And listen, this is a player with a lot of swag. We had her on the show. She was incredible to talk to. Very earnest, forthcoming, willing to engage and talk about her own experiences. This is somebody who is infinitely remarkable.
1: I think where we should leave it is that her career is just starting. We don't know if she's going to achieve what Jeannie does, if she's going to achieve more or less. Like at this point... No idea, but I think we need to emphasize the need to listen to what she's saying and recognize how unusual it is for a professional athlete to be so straightforward about things like this. Instead of seeing it as complaining, she is actually being brave in bringing up it all because it can alienate sponsors and the people in the Federation who are backing her. It's uncomfortable for people, right?
0: Because of the crux of it, she's blatantly... Identifying race as a contributing factor.
1: (laughs) Yes. And there is nothing that makes. Yeah,
0: there's nothing that makes white people more uncomfortable. So kudos to her. 36 year old Tommy Robredo wins his first title in five years. I believe Umag was his last title five years ago. This one, it's a challenger in Lisbon, and he's currently ranked 227. He's over 35 years old. It's tough to imagine him getting back into the top 30. But this is somebody who has been playing challengers week to week for the last six months without great success. And he's had a breakthrough moment this week. And you could see in his response after winning that, did this ever mean something to him? Like he
1: was in tears. Clearly, this means so much to him to get back to winning. You know, five years ago, he was beating Roger Federer at the US Open. And he was old then. You know, he was 31 at the time. So
0: Doesn't that tell you how much we've changed our perception of what's old in tennis. (laughs) That he was decrepit Uh five years ago, and now Rafa is about to turn 32, and nobody's even really thinking about his retirement anymore.
1: Right. So Tommy Robredo is going to jump up to 168 in the rankings tomorrow, and he will be playing in the Roland Garros qualifying first round. So we may see him yet in the main draw.
0: We could have done an entire episode, likely, on our see what had happened was. Instead... It will it'll be one of the closing segments of this show, and it involves Karolina Plishkova's complete and utter meltdown <laughs> in her first round match at yeah.
1: Rome against Maria Sakari. I was at work. I wasn't able to watch the match. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why, why are people talking about Plishkova? And then I heard you explain to me, oh, well, this, this, and this happened. Like, are well, you sure you're talking about Karolina?
0: We had just released an episode and Uh one of our listeners, Dan Hatch, he said, oh, I'm so happy to have this. It sucks that it came out before the Pliskova incident happened because he wants to hear our thoughts Mm -hmm. on it. And honestly, I just woke up. I didn't didn't even know what had happened. It wasn't until like half hour because that day was lit. There was so (laughs) much going on that I, I had no idea what it was. And when I found out what it was, I was flabbergasted.
1: Gagged. It was crazy. <laughs> this is a Crazy because woman... it's so uncharacteristic. Yeah, this is a woman who
0: is mocked endlessly for being Plishkabot. That's mm-hmm. her really unkind nickname. And we saw all her emotion <laughs> in that match.
1: First, let's just set the scene. Let's explain what happened. Five all in the third set of a hard-fought match between Carolina and Maria Sakari.
0: I believe it was Deuce. So mm. this point going against Pliskova then created break point for Sakari to then close mm. it out.
1: Carolina hits a ball cross court, called out. The replay shows us on TV at least that it was clearly in.
0: She had the open court and she played the ball too close for comfort. It did not need to be that close to the line, mm. but it mm. was it looked to be in to the naked eye. And then
1: well, the umpire couldn't identify the mark, and Sakari wasn't sure where the mark was. So the umpire was just like, Well, it was called out, and I'm not going to overrule it because I don't know. And
0: the lines person couldn't point to the mark uh, that they called out. I mean, they, the lines person called it out, and they couldn't find, them, right. find the mark.
1: Nobody on court could find the mark. So Carolina goes mental, obviously. She does a Jared Donaldson is like, Supervisor. Supervisor, I'm not playing one more point without the supervisor on this court. And, well, she did play some more points because the supervisor was like, what do you want me to do? Which is usually what they do, right? Like, well, Really, what are they going to do? Exactly.
0: I do think that in those instances, in those extreme instances, it's worthwhile to have technology where the supervisor can go look at some technology, look at a replay right. of something, like and in, make
1: a quick decision. They have that, well, in cricket. In football, they have that. Where they you have can it in, they ask it, for a video replay? Yeah, they have it in baseball now. Mm-hmm. So you can only ask for it like on a limited number of points in a match, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it works in football and other sports.
0: I haven't thought through what those circumstances would be and what the limiting factors would be in being able to use it, but it would be. <laughs> it would seem that this would absolutely be one of those instances. Mm-hmm.
1: And as you know, we don't have Hawkeye and Clay. There is a margin of error on clay that is bigger than on other surfaces. I'm not getting into that discussion. I'm not pushing for that technology on clay, But it was a bad call. Like, simply, it was a bad call. And they happen. But it happened at a crucial time in the match. And it went against Karolina Mm Pliskova.
0: At a minimum, it seems to me that the point should have been replayed. Because if neither the chair nor the linesperson can point to a mark outside the line, a clear mark that's not touching the Mm sideline then the assumption should be that the ball was in, or at the very least, on the line, and that's why you can't see it. Right. You want to have technology in place so that the howlers don't become part of the game. The what? The absolutely horrible decisions. Oh. <laughs> the screamers, the howlers. Oh, like the outliers? That's what we call it in cricket. Oh, okay. And so that's what the DRS, the decision review system is in cricket. When... You're a batsman, and you feel like you've been given out LBW incorrectly, that you know that you've hit the ball. The umpire assumes that you didn't hit the ball. It just hit the pad and would have gone into the stumps. But you know you got an inside edge on that ball. You call for the DRS right then and there, and they have the technology to prove it one way or the other. There have been many times in cricket where umpires, they're human. They make just shocking decisions. <laughs> and you're able to correct it right there and then and it's not the end of the world.
1: Now I don't think it was incumbent on Sakari to concede the point either. No, not I don't at think all. that's her responsibility.
0: She was on the other side of the court. Right. Other side of the baseline. Mm-hmm. She couldn't see it, per se she could suspect, but it's not her job to then say, "Well, you know, at 5-all deuce in the third set, you know, Carolina, you're number 4 in the world, <laughs> sure just take, take it. it.
1: No problem." So, Carolina goes on to lose that game the next game, and the match. She shakes Sakari's hand, they walk over to the umpire, she does kind of like a fake, like she's going to shake the umpire's hand, and what does she do instead?
0: She makes like a lumberjack, takes her
1: axe out, and chops down (laughs) the chair umpire's chair. I mean, she just goes to town on the umpire's chair with her racket. Three
0: big whacks to the side of it, Mm -hmm. taking out a huge chunk, Of the chair empire's chair.
1: (laughs) While she was in it.
0: Yeah. And this is potentially dangerous. If the structure of the chair had been compromised. The chair empire could have tumbled.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Theoretically yes. Theoretically. I mean that would have taken some doing. Okay. Let's get into the deconstructing of this. Sure. Initially. The thing is a little bit amusing. Only because. It's something that I've never seen before. Because it's. So uncharacteristic of Karolina Plishkova that it's you laugh because you're so shocked. Like you can't believe it's happening. And it's truly bizarre.
0: Mm. I didn't find it funny at all. I have to say it wasn't amusing to me. Mm. It was it was totally shocked. I was like, <gasps> that was my yeah, response,
1: which is a totally appropriate response.
0: And then I got to thinking about it. And my God, it was not only is it out of character I could not help but think. And we get we see this thrown around all the time. Well, if Serena had done this, if Nick Kyrus had done this, and with all these comparisons, they often are found wanting in some regard. But this one, I absolutely accept it. Mm-hmm. Because if Serena Williams had gone up to that chair empire and just started whacking away at the chair, they, we would never hear the end of it. One of the things at play is that this is absolutely an outlier for Plishkova in that it's so vastly out of her range right. of what we've seen. And so folks are want to give it a pass or not think of it as that big of a deal as, or to find the humor in it. But I'm just not at that place. And what's different between this and if, say, Nick Kyrus had done it, yes, it would have been taken differently, but also Nick has... A long history of you know unseemly things that have happened on the on a tennis mm. court,
1: but tennis likes to further criminalize those people. They do who've had run-ins before. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that the Pliskova incident should be viewed differently because of who she is or because it's her cool you know first offense per se. <laughs> um, and when I say it was amused, that doesn't mean I don't think it should be dealt with. I believe very strongly that the fine, which according to her camp was four digits, four figures, is not enough. To me, a suspension is in order because it's it's outrageous, absolutely outrageous behavior. Like, it's crazy. And I realize that doesn't mean skipping any Grand Slam because the ITF is a completely different entity. But the WTA has, within its power... To, to act strongly, or or at least the appearance of acting strongly. Well,
0: they do not publicize the fines that they meet out. These things are handled with zero transparency. So the right. only reason we know about this is because of Plishkowa's camp.
1: Oh, and the other thing we forgot to mention, her coach, or boyfriend, who was it? The coach. The coach gave the middle finger to the camera after the match. So just totally classy behavior all around. And her twin sister, Christina, also tweeted about how terrible the umpire is. See, I don't follow Christina. I mean... I really don't. Really, like, get your house in order. It was just very low-class behavior by everyone in the police camp, and I don't don't excuse that from Christina. Like, just shut up about it. And I, like you said, I hate to go back to this every time, but she's being handled with, with kid gloves. Like, yeah, this but is... this
0: happened in the moment. Christina right. tweeted about it right away. Right, emotions are high, and that was what she did. Would you have done any differently? You might have done more. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's be real about what? it. What? But this is not me. We're talking about. I'm not a professional. I athlete. understand that, but you part
0: of us having this platform to talk about this stuff is to be able to kind of, sort of as much as we can put ourselves in the player's shoes in a relatable way mm. to to kind of see how we would react in those situations. That, I mean, that's part of how we were able to talk about tennis, right? Yeah, yeah. That's part of what we bring to the table. And I can't, I just can't fault Christina. I mean, going after the umpire and saying, well, she should be banned from officiating us ever in the future, both of us. Not just Carolina, right. but me as well. That's a bit much. Like what? But to say that she shouldn't be out here saying, "Well, that was just absolutely fucking dreadful," I mean, I
1: give her that. I think taken together, with the middle finger and the tweets and the the chopping down the lumberjacking, the chair. it was just too much from the whole family.
0: Yeah, because the the net effect is that they're all saying that we're without fault here. <laughs> right. When what's at play here is they're two separate things, two separate parallel things. The umpire handled it poorly, Carolina handled it poorly, and one doesn't negate the other.
1: Right. See, this is the narrative that I want to cut through here, because a lot of people are saying, oh, well, the umpire deserves to be punished proportionately to Carolina. If Carolina gets suspended, the umpire should be suspended. Listen, I like to think of tennis as a workplace. What the umpire did was a performance issue, Mm -hmm. right? It was a mistake it was something that maybe could be handled with more training. You don't fine an employee. You just don't. Like, you don't dock their pay. It's ridiculous. Think of your workplace. If you drop a dish, do you have to pay for the dish? No, that's against the law. Well, some people do. In Canada, it's against the law. It should be everywhere. But if you make a mistake at work, there are avenues to address those mistakes. What the umpire did was not malicious. It may have been bad, a bad performance, but it wasn't malice. What Carolina did was aggressive, malicious, violent. it was violent, and violent. So, like, you have two different things you have performance versus behavior. And so, if you feel that your employee, the umpire, has made a mistake, you deal with it on a training basis. Maybe you say she can't umpire the next match or something like that. A suspension, a written warning. I don't know, but. To say that that totally justifies what Carolina did is dumb. Like, take it to your own workplace. Do you go in and smash your boss's computer when he's done something stupid? Uh, it's just, it's outrageous to me. She's also getting a free pass. Because, again, if
0: Serena had done this, I'm not wanting to compare Nick with this. I'm wanting to compare mm-hmm. Serena. If Serena had done this, it would absolutely have been the end of the world.
1: Oh, it it absolutely would have. We would
0: have seen the mad black woman trope and stereotype come into full effect in terms of folks' prejudice. Mm-hmm. And it would have because allowed
1: the, people to confirm their beliefs yeah, about because who Serena really is deep no down. there's no
0: humor to be found in that. We can find the humor in Carolina doing this. And then folks will say, well, Serena back in, at the U.S. Open, she, she threatened to kill the umpire. Like, what, did she... Well, she threatened to shove the ball down her throat. Did she take her racket to the lines person? Did she smash the chair of the lions person while Sheena was sitting in it? No. She did not. No.
1: Like she this did not.
0: <laughs> unequivocally is so much worse, in my opinion. Mm. And we will never have it treated the same way. No, absolutely Different not. stages, more eyes on Serena at the US Open in that high stakes environment, on home soil. A lot more fraught. She is Serena after all. Like the stakes mm. are intrinsically higher for her. But in terms of the act, if you're just judging the act on what happened, this is so much worse than what Serena did. And yeah. I just want folks to grapple with that for a little
1: bit. Now, just so you understand that we've done our homework and we're covering our bases, this is in the WTA rulebook, section 16, Code of Conduct. It looks like Carolina will probably be punished under the... Abuse of racket or equipment rule, which covers um, violently, dangerously, or with anger, hitting, kicking, or throwing a racket or other equipment. And interestingly, for the purposes of this rule, abuse of rackets or equipment is defined as da, 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 the net, court, umpire's chair, or other fixture. Do you think this has happened before? They had the foresight That they mentioned the, the umpire's cha- yeah. chair in the rule. I was struck by that as well. And the, the punishment is $2,500 for each violation, and the repair or replacement of destroyed or damaged property, which honestly gave me a little chuckle, because it was like a you break it, you buy it rule. So I don't know how much replacing the pieces of the chair that she busted off is going to cost, but that's part of the fine. And so, yes, it is strictly covered in the abuse of racket or equipment rule, but there is another rule for unsportsmanlike conduct, and I don't really understand why it doesn't also apply to that. Because it is... Do we know that it can't? I don't, I don't know. I was told, but I'm not sure.
0: You were told in somebody's opinion. We yes. don't know what the WTA will or won't do because they won't tell us. Right. There is no reason in my mind why somebody can't be punished under multiple sections of a handbook or, or law thing.
1: Mm-hmm. The unsportsmanlike conduct rule is says that players shall at all times conduct themselves in a sportsmanlike manner and give due regard to the authority of officials and the rights of opponents, spectators, and others. I, I suppose if the offense is egregious enough, it can raise to unsportsmanlike conduct, I would think, mm. even if it encompasses other rules that are already in place. Yeah. Well, it just, the whole thing just seems lax and
0: needs to be revisited. <laughs> because if you're somebody making millions of dollars a year, $2,500
1: is just not going to be a deterrent. Because yeah. there's a difference between smashing your own racket and using your racket as a weapon to destroy other things. To have the same fine cover both offenses doesn't make sense to me. Spare a thought for Maria Sakari.
0: This is somebody who is on the come up, who had her moment taken from her because she had to sit stand there. While Pliskova's tantrum was going on at five-all, at deuce, being a young player, do you know what to do and how to react in that resp- mm-hmm. in that situation? I'd be totally like a fish out of water at that point. And then she's assuming Pliskova is going to shake the chair's hand, and then has to back up. <laughs> See that when was, the that carnage was the thing that is made going laugh. on.
1: Was that she jumped when Carolina unleashed? And then she did like a little moonwalk. She backed up and was like, nope, 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 nope. This is
0: somebody who just seems so likable and whose profile has already been on the come up in recent weeks and then to have this spotlight be on mm-hmm. her for reasons totally aside from her own doing. Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm totally on board for the first Greek Hopman Cup team. I hope this happens with her and Tsitsipas. All right, that's going to be it for us this time. We're going to be coming to you again this week with a French Open preview. So please send along your questions regarding the upcoming French Open to thebodyserve at gmail.com or thebodyserve on Twitter. And I'm James. I'm at JMR on Twitter.
0: I'm Jonathan at tennis underscore John.
1: Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.